Well, today we're going we're gonna to continue with, with our, our called series. And I don't, I don't normally do this, but, but I want to I talk to you just for a quick second about a documentary that I watched a, a, a while back. And, and this was it. It's called The Social Dilemma. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of y'all have seen this? And, and yeah, okay. So it, it's on Netflix. Now, I, I was thinking a minute ago, I, it was a great documentary. Uh, I really believe that we're going to sit down with Cole, our oldest, and, and walk through it with him. And, and I, this isn't spoiling it, but I want to tell you what, it's pretty fascinating. This documentary was put together by people that helped start Twitter, people that have now moved on from that, people that helped launch Pinterest, people that helped launch Facebook and vice presidents of business development and monetization, people that, that started uh, Instagram or were involved in Instagram, rather. It, it is by the people that were, were the ground movers in this. And in, in, in the, the heartbeat of the documentary, it, it's not going to tell you anything you might not have already suspiciously been aware of. It's going to drive home to you everything you ever wondered about what's going on in the digital space. Not, this isn't just social media, by the way. This is internet, it's web, it's AI, it's search engine optimization. It's all the things that we're dealing with as a society. Uh, the te- and the, one of the taglines is the technology that connects us also controls us. And uh, I, I share that with you to say it, it is, whether you have kids or not, I don't care if you're 60, you really do need to watch it. It, 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 is, it is educational to say the, the least. But one of the things that, that I took away from that and thinking of it in my own life is, you know, there are times I, I'm, I'm conflicted in my soul over, over a smartphone because, let's just face it, the technology has done so much for our lives I mean, I, I wouldn't want to live in a world without a cellular phone. I remember, obviously, when lo- phones were connected to walls with a cord, you know, and uh, it was a big deal. And when you called somebody's house to talk to the daughter, you're probably going to get the dad, and you had to have some quick salesmanship techniques to even get to speak to her, you know, and those were the, those were the good days, you know, and, uh, and, and very protected days. Maybe all you dads and daughters, you should go back to landlines, right? Um, but... But, I, but I, uh, I, I'll tell you at the same time, something that is so good, like technology, something that has brought us so much good, and it has, it has also brought us so much harm. It, it, and not just harm with, with the darker side of the internet, harm with things like even being able to, to go 30 seconds without ding. You know, we, we want God to talk to us, right? How, can, how is that even possible? In a world full of notifications, what makes you think that with every seven seconds when you're getting ding, ding, how could any, God or anybody speak to you? Our minds, the, the data that's coming out on how our minds are, are literally dominated by digital, it's, it's truly scary. So something that is so good, it also, I mean, it's taken on a life of its own. And, and it 
in, in that same way, the topic that I'm going to talk to you about today is something that is so good. I mean, really, really good. Something that is phenomenally good. And I want to say to you before we get into this, this morning, this is going to be incredibly uncomfortable for many of you. But I want to say something to you. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. Don't shut down. Don't, don't go into a place where you're like, oh, I really, really, really don't want to talk about this. Today, as we talk about this topic, it is good, but there's also a side to it. And I want to say to you, it is going to be, for many of you, men and women, for many of you, it is going to be something that is painfully close to home. Painfully. But what if, what if today you could find freedom? What if today you could actually experience the power of God in this particular area of your life? In this called series on the Sermon of the Mount, today we're going to talk about being called to sexual purity. Sexual purity before the Lord. That's what we're calling this this morning, right? So you, you got some scriptures up here. If you don't have your Bible, I've got it on there for you. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus deals with a topic right here. It's up there for you, and I'm going to read it from the New American Standard if you're on a device. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 27, chapter 5. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, you know, if you ever, from time to time I'll meet people say, oh, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, have you read it? Ever? Because if you have, when, every time you, you read verses like that, you're like, wow. You know, I, I want to say to you, I want to say to to every man within the sound of my voice, I've never met a man ever. I've never met a man, regardless of age, 85 or 25, I've never met a man that at times in his life didn't look too long, stare too long, or think too wrong. I mean, did you notice even on that men's ministry video, right? How, did you see how visual it was? I mean, the moment I saw that steak, I was like, holy cow, I'm going to that thing. Right? There, there's a reason that men are visual. God made us that way. I've never met a man that if he's honest, that when he read that verse, it took the air out of him. And if, 
ladies, if you think some of this doesn't apply to you today, it does. Because there's going to be some things we're going to talk about in the world of women as well. And here's what Jesus does. What Jesus does is he takes this thing to a whole new level. Like you can hear, like this, this goes to a whole different level. He said, you know, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, the act. But I'm going to say to you, if you even look at it, you've already done it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a gigantic leap from what we're used to right in that day. So, so the real question that I have, you know, when I study this is, here's the question for me, what do I do with this? That's the real question, right? What do I do with this? This is a, uh, I think it was Gordon Fee, I can't remember, I have to go back and look. I think it was Gordon Fee that once wrote a book, it's a long time ago, uh, called the, the Hard Sayings of Jesus. And, and this is one of those hard things. So what do I do with this? Well, based on these verses, I want to start with the practical. I, I want to start there. And, and the first truth I think what Jesus can teach us right here is make a covenant with your eyes and with your imagination. Make a covenant. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? Make a covenant with your eyes and make a covenant with your imagination. All right. So when Jesus is talking here uh, uh, about amputations, he's, he's not... Literally saying you should tear your eye. Mutilation is not the point, and we, we know that. Common sense dictates that. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do not put yourself in spiritually hostile environments. You'll lose. Did, did you hear me, men and women? You know, there was a time... When pornography, when it first hit the landscape of technology, obviously it's been around forever, but the technology, there was a time when you were seeing all these stats on men. And those stats now used to be men, the number of men were way up here that had at least dabbled in pornography and the number of women way down low. Now that gap is shrinking all the time. It's shrinking all the time. Make a covenant with your eyes and make a covenant with your imagination. You know, let, me, let me show you, a verse. this verse means so much to me. I, I've claimed it so many times in my life, Psalm 101. It says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Some versions even say, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes and make a covenant with your imagination don't put yourself in spiritually hostile environments. You know, every person, every person, I've, I've, I've walked with a lot of people through addiction uh, for whatever reason. A lot of pastors don't have a lot of experience with that, but for whatever reason I have, and, and I've walked with a lot of people through addiction and gotten them into places, and I've seen it up close and many, 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 many times. And one of the things I've learned with alcoholics, substance abusers, pornography, financial, gambling, anything that has an addiction on the heart, one of the things I've, I've, I've learned about monitoring and observing people that find victory, the first thing they do is they cut off the environment. Cut it off. I had a friend of mine one time who he used to sell drugs, and, and we, were, uh, we were in our uh, early 20s, and and he had gotten free from drugs, and, and he, he just really, the Lord had changed his life, and, and he's been free ever since. This is 25, 30 years later. It's a really fascinating story from my friend Greg. And, and, and I asked Greg one time, I said, man, how did, you, how did you get 
freedom from all that. I mean, we know Jesus did it. Like, what did you do practically? And I remember him turning to me, and he just said, we were sitting there talking one day at lunch, and he said, you know, Jay, and he was like 22 at the time. We were both in our early 20s. And he said, um, Jason, this is going to sound really, really simple, but I never was able to get off drugs until I got away from people that were using drugs. You know, you're not going to get out of your gambling problem if you stick around people that gamble. You're not going to, for those of you that that, that struggle with alcohol, listen, you're going to, what Jesus is saying is, don't go into the liquor store. That's That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't look with your eyes, don't look. With your feet, don't go. That's what he's getting at. With your eyes, don't look. With your feet, don't go. That's what he means with cut it off. With your eyes, don't look. With your feet, don't go. Because what, what's going to happen to you, friend, is I'm going to tell you that if you have an imagination, listen to me closely. If you have an imagination that is not disciplined by the Spirit, well, then you're going to have actions that grieve the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. If you have an imagination... If you have an imagination that, that is not disciplined with the Spirit, then you're going to commit actions that grieve the Spirit. So if you're, if you're addicted to status, if you're addicted to what other people think about you, if you're addicted to more money, and you don't have God's discipline in your imagination of what life could look like if you could have more of anything, then you're going to have actions that grieve the Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't go. And, and in fact, what he's saying here about cut off your eye, cut off, cut off your hand, you know, what he, what he, here, he says, better to do that than go into hell. Let me, let me tell you the, the, the undertones of that. What he's basically saying is, it is better for you to have small amputations in real life than annihilation in the next life. Do you understand that? So when he says don't go, it's the equivalent of an amputation. I used to do this. There was a time I did that. There was a time I put myself in this environment. So I'm going to amputate that part of my life to avoid annihilation in the next. That's what he's getting at. Make a covenant. Make a covenant with your eyes. Make a covenant with your imagination. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'll give you another uh, practical step that Jesus is helping us with right here. And, and I would say to, to, to treat your body as God's property. Treat your body as God's property. It's a big deal. You see, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 tells us that we have a, a spirit and a soul We have an eternal side, the spirit, a soul, which is the mind, heart, will, emotions, and then we have a body. But there's also going to be a time that the Bible says that when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise, right? You've read that before? The dead in Christ will rise. So there's going to be a resurrection of what? The body, the actual body. Why? Because God is going to restore what sin broke. So our bodies are instruments of righteousness, as Paul says. In fact, look at what he says in Romans. Romans 6, Paul said, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, your actual body, so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but 
Present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. Romans 6.13. What a power. I mean, there's like seven weeks of sermons in that. But what, what is he getting at? He said, our body is, is the property of the Lord. And I love what he said, you're alive from the dead. It's who you used to be. Don't go on presenting your body. Don't go into, what did Jesus say? Don't go into places that are going to take you somewhere you shouldn't be. Look at what Paul said in Colossians. Look at this next, Colossians 3, 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. You know what he's saying, don't you? It's who you used to be. It's who you used to be. So treating our body as God's property. And when you look at, at what Paul said in Romans 6 and what Paul said here in, in Colossians 3, let, let, me, let me tell you what I gather from that. What I gather from that is that every time I go back into those lifestyles or every time you go back into that behavior or every time I go back into that thinking, every time you go back into that thinking, every time we go backward, what we're really doing in effect is we're, we're going back to the other side of the cross. We're going back to the other side of the cross. We're going back in the tomb and putting the rock back over it. Because the Bible says that, that we've been resurrected in Christ, right? That it, he says that he put his resurrection power in me, right? So now that I've got resurrection power living in me, when I present my body or I present my imagination to the, the, the other side, I'm literally going backward as if it had never happened. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not a believer. What I'm saying is I'm falling into, Paul talks so much about the old man and the new man, the old person and the new person. We, we are not who we used to be. And I want to say to many of you, if if this is an area of struggle for you, men and women, I want to tell you, listen to me. Listen to me. You can find victory in this. You don't have to just walk in it. You don't have to just, that's just kind of, you know what, I'm, I, I'm, God has put me around some unique millennials in the last year or two of my life, and, and, and many of them don't, don't go here to Clearview. They, they go, they're just guys the Lord's brought into my life, and, and I hear them talk about these particular issues, and, and, and they've been raised in a, they're in their 20s now, and, and they've been raised in a culture that, you know, uh, porn just, just comes with the territory, and I'm saying, no, it doesn't. You don't have to just live in that defeat. You can experience freedom. Treat your bodies as God's property. And the same goes to women. The same goes to women. Ladies, let me tell you something. There is a planetary difference between looking attractive and being seductive. There is a planetary difference in that. Now, I'm not for a second advocating that it's your fault. I can't, man, listen, my undergrad's in sociology, and if there's one thing that 
drives me crazy when I read crime statistics or when I hear about attorneys going to court and saying that the reason that that guy raped that woman, you know, she was asking for it. No, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. I don't care how she was dressed or what she did or what she said or what you thought she said. No, she wasn't. So I'm not talking about that, so don't hear that. But I want to say to you, not just as a pastor, but as a man, because this happens to me a lot. I mean, like, all the time. Whether I'm at the grocery store or anywhere in life, there's many times I have to talk to women like this. And they probably think I'm being rude. I'm trying to survive. And that's truth. Right? It's one thing to be attractive. It's another thing to be seductive. Don't put me in a position where I can't win. If you're my sister in Christ. Now listen, I expect non-believers to act like non-believers. I do. I mean it. I expect non-believers to act like non-believers. But let me, and the same, same goes to, to moms. Let me tell you something, man. All right? I want to say this, and I'm going to say it out of every ounce of love I've got for you. Because as a shepherd, my job is to protect this family. But I also know you got society leaning on you all the time. I want to say something to you moms and dads that have daughters. I don't. It's good. <laughs> I, it's the one area where I just, wow. I don't know how y'all do it. I've been living in this county a long time. And it's not uncommon for me to hear, and I don't mean inside Clearview. I mean just, I've lived here a long time. We've got friends outside this church, inside this church. And I hear of parents that claim the name of Christ, and they put their daughters on birth control. And I'm going to tell you, you need to repent from that. You need to repent from that. Saying, Jason, who are you to tell me how to run my house? I'm not telling you how to do nothing. I'm going to tell you, you're saying to your daughter that she doesn't have the discipline to say no. Teach her differently. Teach her differently. Let me tell you something. I know this isn't true for a lot of you, but I'm going to say it because it, it's, it needs to be said. Michelle and I married, and we were both virgins when we married. And I know that statistically, very few people can say that. That doesn't make me a hero, and it doesn't make her a hero. You've heard me preach several times that you can lose your virginity, but you can regain your purity. And yes, you can. You can regain your purity. Yes, you can. But I want to tell you something. My high school years were 1988 to 1991. And if there's one thing I can say to Cole and Tucker Cruz is that the pull and the magnetism and the want to to have sex was no, is no worse in 2020 than it was in 1988. 
It's no, that, that, that magnetic pull has never backed up. It can be done. For those of you that, that, are, that are telling your kids, I, this, is what's, this is what breaks my heart as a pastor, is I watch Christians lowering the standard because it's just the way we live now. No, it is not. No, it is not. God's definition of holiness hasn't changed just because we're in a new millennium. God's definition of holiness hasn't changed just because it's harder now. It's not. And what I want to say, and why am I passionate about this? Because I see, I get to see what happens when I come into your home. Shane gets to see it. Brian gets to see it. Graham and Madison get to see it. See, we get to see the other side. There's a difference between seduction and attraction. And I want to, t- but I, and I want to say something to you as, as, since I'm, you know, making everybody mad. I'm going to, I'm going to say something to you as husbands. Okay. You are the owner of your home. Do you hear me? You are the owner of your home. You own the mortgage. There's way more. You own something way bigger than that. You own the title to God's property in the kingdom realms over your house. You own the title to that. Well, then own it. Own it. It doesn't mean that your daughter has to, like, put a curtain over her body, you know, cut out the eyes or something and, you know, I don't know, do something. I don't know. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying to you, friends, is even as a man, I look at the way that even women in the body of Christ dress, I would never want my wife to wear those things. I mean it. I don't want any man looking at my wife like that. Because men will. Ladies, do you understand that? Fellas, do you understand? Men will in the workplace at Sprouts, at the Y, they will look at your wife and they will think about what they could possibly do. And I'm saying, own your home and your daughter too. Because you don't want them being an object of lust. You want them being an object of attraction. Amen. I remember the first time I saw my wife. She was wearing a red dress. I thought, hot dog, buddy. I want to know her name. I was 18, 19 years old, and I was teaching a Bible study. I don't know why they let me. I guess, I mean, they just, they did. I had known Jesus for about seven seconds. I'm not kidding. Uh, and, and Betty Sanders couldn't be there that Sunday. She said, Jason, you're going to go into the ministry. Why don't you teach the Bible? I'm like, I just got saved like yesterday. So I had to find a verse I could quote. I mean, it was awful. Michelle comes in, and I'm like, who's that? I married her. I'm saying to you, our bodies are the property of the Lord. Attraction is a green light. Seduction is a red light. Don't do it. And I think Jesus would tell us something else. Out of this verse, and I would just say when it comes to what he said about cutting off your eye and your hand, he would say, deal, what that, let me tell you what that means. It means deal drastically with sin. 
Deal drastically. That's the point. He's not calling for amputations. Deal drastically with sin. Deal, deal drastically with sin. Cut it out of your life. Cut it out of your life. That's what he's, that's what he's trying to say. Listen, you, you can't understand, Christian friend, you can't understand the need for salvation unless you understand the doctrine of sin itself. You've you got to understand the doctrine of sin and this is where the Pharisees really got it wrong. Because, see, when Jesus talked about, you have heard it was said, I, you should not commit adultery. Let me tell you what Pharisees were doing. Because when Jesus was preaching this message, the Pharisees were full in this crowd. They were big time full of that crowd. And, and all through there. And so here's what, how the Pharisees operated. The way the Pharisee operated was they had a, stay with me now, they had a very narrow definition of sexual sin. Very narrow, very tight. But they had a very broad definition of sexual purity. So see, Jesus is going right to them. Because they, they had a narrow definition of what it meant to sin against God sexually. So as long as they didn't commit adultery, they were okay. But their purity was in the gutter. And so Jesus said, oh, no, you heard this, but I'm going to take it to a whole different place of purity. And what he was telling us was that adultery wasn't limited to the act physically. Jesus took it to the heart. Deal with sin drastically. So, so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me back it into the bigger theological question. I've given you some, some ways to navigate it, but let's ask the real question in the room. Why is the act of lust so important to God? Why is that? Is it just because he doesn't you know, want us to enjoy? No. Listen, that's why I started off telling you that God, God made something good. It's something that we're working hard to teach our boys because let me tell you where I think the Christian church has gone wrong bad. Many of you, especially those of you over 40 that are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, you grew up in a church life that just said, no, never, no, no, bad, bad, no, no, bad. Then you said, I do. And so, ooh, awesome. That's crazy. We, we somehow, I think, in, especially 40, 50 years ago, we just told our kids, don't, 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 don't. And we didn't teach them, wait a minute, God made this. This is good. It's really great. So, so, so God, if God made us to be visual, God made men to be visual. God made men, women to be visual. God made us to desire. God made all these things. So then why is it that this act of lust is such a big deal to God? I'll tell you why. Because sin seeks to enslave what Jesus set free. That's why lust matters. Sin seeks to enslave what Jesus set free. See, when Paul said you were on the, you're on this side of the cross now, Jason. This is the old Jason over here. You're, you're on this side of the open grave now, Jason. So every time you present your body to sin, you go back over here. You got to understand that, that Jesus set me free from all of that. And so every time I go backward, I'm enslaving that to again. And so understand, understand all of you that are here this morning. I don't care if you're 20, if you're 17, 
if you're 40, if you're 70, or if you're a man or if you're a woman, when it comes to sexual sin, Jesus hung on a cross and they beat him and they spit on him and then they stuck a a spear in his side to see if he was dead yet. See, I don't know if you know this, but the way a a person died in crucifixion was they died from suffocating. That's the actual, if you're on an autopsy, that'd be the cause of death. They died from suffocation. So what they would do is they would put their feet on top of each other and they would bend their knees, all right? And then they would hang them like this. So every time that Jesus had to breathe, he had to push himself up and he could go back down. Well, after a while, you suffocate. Jesus did that because sin will kill you. Jesus did that because sin will take your home. Jesus did that because sin will ruin your career. Jesus did that because sin is playing to win. And so when you dabble, just know you're being baited. You're being groomed. We all know that word, parents, don't you? You're being groomed as a 50-year-old man or a 25-year-old woman You're being groomed. Jesus died to give you the power that you don't have to have premarital sex. That you can can look into the eyes of your boyfriend and you can say, I love you, but I don't need that because I've got a redeemer who I know he has come to set me free. And if I go down that road with you, it is going to take life from me. And I don't love you that much. I don't need that. See, fellas, you, you, all of you that, that, that are in your 20s, maybe you, you haven't gotten married yet. You, you are, you're, you're, you're everything you desire, you should be desiring. In fact, if you came to my office and said, I, I want to marry this girl, and, and you weren't attracted, I'd say, well, hey, we got a whole different set of problems. Something's wrong. You should be feeling that. So, so the reality is Jesus died. And what I see with parents and what I, what I even see with the Christian culture is that, that somehow, I'm, I'm going to stop for a second and just tell you something that really bothers me. It really, really bothers me. And I don't know how to say this without, um, I don't know. I had a preaching professor decades ago that always told us, never make yourself the hero of your own story. I never forgot that. But I think if I tell this right, I think you'll understand it. I I have a, 
I have different preacher friends. And I have even people here at Clearview. We have guests even, often, that will say something like this to me. It's never the same phrases, but it's always the, it's always the same point. They will say, man, Jason, you'll, you'll say anything. Or I hear guests say, we're, we're often, they'll say, we're coming to Clearview because, because Clearview's bold about the Bible. I have even preacher friends that will say things to me like, man, uh, some of them may even call me old school. And my response always to that when it's a guest is I smile and say thank you, but inside my heart breaks. Because it tells me that what they're hearing in pulpits across America is soft. And, 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 and I want to say to you, hear me clearly. Yes, I try to get better as a communicator, but you guys, I'm not preaching content any differently than I did my first sermon in December of 1990 was my first sermon. My content hasn't changed at all. When I first started preaching, in fact, for the first 10 years, maybe 15 years of my preaching ministry, I was just a standard stock preacher, just a you could count on a guy like me to, to bring you the, the word of God, and, and there were guys that were better, and no, nobody's denying that, but, but it was standard, it, it was standard architectural blueprint Christianity, nothing out of the norm. And what I'm saying is that in 2020, the reason I am often referred to as a throwback or old school or any of our bold or that, that's how far the church has moved. That's how far the church has moved. That's how far society has moved. That me standing up here talking about something as simple as the word of God and premarital sex is seen as in some ways out of touch. Well, then I will always be out of touch. I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I will always, if you're going to stay here, I will always be out of touch if that's the metric you want to use. Because I'm not. I'm not going to feed you lies because of what culture has told us is now acceptable. And what I want to say to you, Christian friends, is really this, is that the whole point of this, this entire thing is about sin seeking to enslave what Jesus set free, is that, that in the Christian church, what breaks my heart is we have learned and learned to accept. Learned to accept standards. No wonder across America the church is doing that on a nosedive. No wonder when the holiness of the Lord isn't at least something we want. We don't always do it, but it is something that we pursue. This is elementary Christianity, dear friends. And yet it is seen as the radical today. But I want to say to you at Clearview, we will be a body of people as Christians. Let me tell you, if you come to church here, we are going to be a body of people. that We, we, we are not going to be at home in the Christ life 
pursuing things that are anti-Christ. You follow me? We're, we're not going to be at home if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you, are, you say that Jesus has saved your soul, then I want to say to you, whether it's greed or materialism or arrogance or whether it's status or whatever idol you're drinking from, whether it's sex, whether it's it, it, whatever, whatever it is out there, Christians that are filled with the Spirit of God are not at home with the antichrist life. You're not. You may do it, you may fall into it, you can be saved and fall into it, but let me tell you about what a spirit-filled believer, they want out. A spirit-filled believer wants out, out. If they've gone down a road and they've they've, they've tasted the, the far country in Luke 15 with the prodigal, if you've done that, there's something driving you home, that's the spirit of God. Saying you used to be that way. Don't go down that road. It'll kill you. See, a Christian longs for more. Longs for more. And we're not at home just living this way. So I'm going to say to you, if you you are out of biblical bounds with this topic today, and it doesn't bother you, you need to seriously ask yourself, do you know what it means to be saved? Because I would say you may not. You can sin and be a saved Christian, absolutely. But you can't live in it with no remorse whatsoever. That is called religion. And the Holy Spirit of God, Romans tells me, testifies with my spirit to confirm that I am a child of God. And every Christian I know delights in the power of the Lord. And so I want to leave you with the hope today of why this matters to God so much. And I drew it out for you to understand it this way, that you will never find life drinking from wells that cause death. You're you're not. You're not going to find life drinking from a well that would cause death. And so as a body of Christ, I want to tell you what we need to do is I want, and I meant to do it, I, I forget. I wanted, to bring, I wanted to bring a vase of water up here today that looked clear and looked beautiful. But if you knew that vase of water would kill you if you drank it, well, then you'd be committing suicide, wouldn't you? If you willfully took and you willfully drank it, we, nobody, I mean, nobody's going to do that. You would never do that. And I'm saying to you, when it comes to this area of sexual purity, as a mom, every time you let your daughters and sons, dad, daughters, let them think that that's okay, They are drinking the toxic vial that Jesus had to die to overcome. You will never, for those of you bound up in pornography, you're never going to find life drinking from a well that will kill you. So what do you do? What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. The first thing you do is you repent. That's the most normal behavior in the world. Lord God, wash over me and drive this out of me. You repent. 
And the Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you repent and you ask God to take it out. Second thing you do, if you're struggling with it, you get around people. You, Shane, Shane, raise your hand over there. There's Shane. You go see that man. He won't tell me. He won't tell a soul. You go see him. Say, I need help. Get me, help me get out of this. Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. They have a good return from their work. If their friend falls down, the one can help him up. But pity the man that falls and has nobody to help him up. Get around men of God. You hear me? Get around men of God. Get around men of God. Some of the most righteous things that some of you could do right now is take that circle of friends you have and drop kick them into eternity. Tell them, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm getting out of this stuff, boys. I'm not drinking with y'all anymore. I'm not running with y'all anymore. You know, I had a friend of mine that runs a rehab clinic. You know what he always tells the addicts at the end of their stint? How many of your friends that love you so much came to see you? It's always the same number. Zero. The Lord will meet us, and he will put his favor on this congregation if we do not compromise his ordinances. He will put favor on us, and he'll put favor on your home, too. He'll put favor on your home. When you live a Psalm 1 life, you know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.